circus. What a fun time that was. Remember being a kid and hearing this tune? It really flashes me right back to being young and carefree. And frankly, so much more full of joy and lightness. There is both a freedom and some heaviness that comes with age. As Britt Morin says, To me, age doesn't make a difference in terms of how playful or fun life can be. Thankfully, with age, we become wiser and can pick our battles. Now, some battles are positive and some are negative. This reminds me of one of my favorite parables. An elder from the Cherokee Nation was teaching his grandchildren about life. He said to them, A fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf represents fear, anger, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, and superiority. The other wolf stands for hope, sharing, humility, relationships, empathy, truth, compassion, and faith. This same fight is going on inside you and every other person too. One child asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The elder simply replied, the one you feed. Not all things are worth fighting for, but many are. Age and wisdom allows for more choice. The split second between stimulus and response to choose more wisely. Now you may not always make the right choice. You will make mistakes. You'll say the wrong thing. You'll regret and feel shame. It's just part of the human experience. The key is to always look for the lesson, to be present, to observe the observer, to witness the witnesser, to experience the experience. There is something so sweet about slowing down time and getting very present to the moment, finding the sweetness and joy again. Now let's go back to the circus and being a child again. Get back in touch with the joy of it all, the laughter, the bliss. What is it that gets in the way from you playing like a child? From feeling total freedom all the time, from allowing yourself to just laugh and laugh and laugh for no reason at all. Maybe you got serious. Maybe you now have a family or a big business or some other responsibilities that weigh you down. It happens to so many. Has it happened to you? We must always stay open to learning just like that of a child. Curious, playful, willing to fail. It reminds me of Forrest Gump. Now, a lot of our fears are based on the fact that we might not look good, that we need to somehow be perfect to be accepted or loved, stuck in a never-ending pursuit of perfectionism so we look good. We have let our obsession with perfection, known as the nirvana fallacy, permeate our thinking. The nirvana fallacy is not new. It dates back to the 1700s, and it was made famous by Voltaire's counter-argument that perfect is the enemy of the good. It's got a fancy academic definition, but it's really easily understood by a quote that we've likely all heard and some of us have said. If I can't do it perfectly, I'm not gonna do it at all. This clip taken from a TED Talk by self-proclaimed recovering perfectionist, Charlie Haversat. As it states, she challenges our obsession with perfectionism in our personal lives, workplaces, and beyond, and asks the questions, can we fight the crippling fear of failure and the unwillingness to compromise what it creates. This quote really nails it so well. If I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to do it at all. Can you relate? Like you will freeze if it's not just perfect or up to your overly high standards. One thing I want you to check in with is your why. Meaning, why do you do the things you do? Is there a person in your life that you're trying to impress? Someone from your childhood maybe? Someone in your life now? Why are you doing what you do? It is so important to get in touch with your driver. There is something driving you. Is it your ego or your soul? Which wolf are you feeding? For many years, I had debilitating perfectionism. I think a good reason I had a horrible fear of public speaking is that I made it all about me, all about doing it right, and all about being liked or viewed as perfect. 
I was afraid to share my voice as I was uncertain how it would land with others, or I might get laughed at or say something stupid and shame myself over and over and over. Can you relate? I remember when I was about to be interviewed on a PBS station as an expert in 2007. This was fresh off the heels of being on NBC Nightly News, and the crazy thing was that this was to air out to over 8 million people. As the offer came across my inbox, I was both excited and scared to death. That still small voice of perfection creeping in. Who am I to do this? Who am I to share this? What if I say the wrong thing and I'm not liked? Ah yes, the need to be like Dragon. Do you know that one? It had me shackled for so many years. As I sat in the studio, cameras getting set up, I had a moment of clarity, a moment of yes, of course I am supposed to be here right now sharing this. What came to light was simply this. I was right because I was there. Things, people, and experiences show up because they are supposed to. It's as simple as that. All good things, all bad things, they are there and they are perfect. That is the irony and complexity of perfect. Truly things are perfect exactly how they are, even if we are striving for perfection and chase that elusive dragon forever. Because gosh darn it, we will never be perfect, even if our pesky ego strives for it, and yet everything is perfect as is. More of that damn paradox, yes? Needless to say, the one hour segment went very well, many were served, and I was humbled again to be a messenger sharing my perspective with the world. I exited the studio joyously and confidently moving on to the next adventure, up-leveled, more perfect and imperfect the same, all with the reminder to have fun in the moment and laugh at myself, to play, to allow my childlike truth to show me my soul, reminded again to just stay open. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Forrest was absolutely perfect in his imperfection. He lived his life like that of a child, clowning around, unassumingly living open-hearted, open-minded, loving chocolate all day long. As Tom Robbins says, humanity has advanced when it has advanced, not because it's been sober, responsible, and cautious, but because it's been playful, rebellious, and immature. Are you willing to be playful, rebellious, and immature at some level? For in this state, all things are possible. Let's do this. Welcome to the Face Your Dragon podcast, where we help you, a messenger with a mission, leverage your fear to amplify your voice in the world. On the show, we open up the concept that what you are most afraid of and most resisting are the very things that will set you free. With courage, with clarity, with contribution, you can have it all. This show will engage in deep, enriching conversation with thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, athletes, icons, and regular Joes who have faced their fear and are now using it to create impact in the world. I'm Brad Axelrad, and I'll be your host. Susan Leahy is seriously one of the most alive and vibrant humans I know. We met seven years ago at the Association of Transformational Leaders when she was very pregnant. And let me tell you, being very pregnant did not slow her down one bit. She's a certified speaking professional and confidence coach and creator of the Confident Woman program that connects women to their confidence while elevating the condition of women in underdeveloped countries. She's also the co-founder of Group to Team Leadership Solutions with former Facial Dragon podcast guest Freeman Mike a training and consulting organization that supports organizations to build a culture of team by empowering the individual. Susan's training with Robert's Rules Made Simple has been used by thousands of boards across the U.S. and Canada. Give a listen to this amazing human. I trust you will appreciate her as much as I do. Susan Leahy, it's so great to have you on the Face Your Dragon podcast today. Welcome, hon. Oh, thank you, Brad. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> One thing that we can count on, everybody, is Susan's enthusiasm and excitement today. And that, that's one uh, thing that just fills my heart every time I get to spend time with you. So, Well, you know what, Brad? I think it's important that people get to know that even when you're facing your dragons, you still get to have a little bit of fun. <laughs> so hopefully, even though we're going to talk about some deep things, we're going to talk about pulling a little bit of the fun into the process. It's uh, a great way to start it. So yeah. So how do we have fun when we're in some of our darkest challenging moments? Susan, what do you think? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I, for me, having fun has been a practice of mine since I was born. And I know, I think you know this about me, but I was raised by a mother who was a professional clown. And so, you know, for some, clowns are scary. But, you know, for me, <laughs> clowns are really pure joy. And my mom, my mom really was such a great example of, of really living your life joyfully in all of it. And so I feel like I've been in the practice of finding the fun my entire life. Well, I, I can second that. I mean, anyone that is around you, anytime we're around you, it's just the elevation. The, the energy is so elevated. There's just an, a complete spontaneous awesomeness that happens. So <laughs> so I, I did not know that. I had no idea mom was a professional clown. Now, uh, <laughs> as you know, my mom is a nudist. Yes. And yes. mom lives in a nudist colony. And I used to be so ashamed by it. And, but I had to face that dragon so I'm curious to hear, like, what are some of the biggest dragons you've had to face and sort of admit and come to terms with? This is a really interesting question. What are some of the biggest dragons you've just kind of had to come and face? I think the biggest dragon is really looking at myself in the mirror every day and making a choice with respects to how am I going to respond to myself? Because I'll tell you, Brad, I'm probably, and like most people, I say the harshest things to me. And, and, and I need to constantly watch how I look at myself and what I say and how do I really kind of get myself back into alignment? Because, you know, my husband, I love my husband so much. He's so great. He says, Susan, you have one job. Now I got a lot of other jobs, but the one job that he really holds is most important is he's like, Susan, you need to be happy because what I've realized, especially as a woman, when I can't get to that space of finding my fun and really being happy, then everybody else around me suffers. My children suffers, my work suffers, my husband suffers. And so it's that sense of how do I manage the dragons in the moment when I'm, I'm sitting there looking in the mirror? And I think it's that sense of I've got to keep reaching for my own personal alignment. And that's something I've been working on and practicing my entire life. And it will be my life's practice. Mm, that's so brilliantly said. Something I've pondered for years and have kind of committed to believing, if you will, in recent years, you know, that saying, happy wife, happy life. And this could mm -hmm. get me in trouble. I'm so freaking curious how this lands for some of the women who are listening. Wait, but let me just support you in that, because I do believe that women are the energetic kind of context of the home, you know, and, and there's a reason why people say, oh, women are more emotional. You know what? We are. And that's our strength. We bring that emotion into the house. We bring that passion. We bring that energy. And the reality is I, I want that to be my role. And yeah, happy wife, happy life. And, and I want myself to be happy and I want to own my own happiness. Right. And that's the distinction I was going to make exactly is that you know, I think that statement is so misconstrued for go make your wife happy, do everything in your power to make your no. wife happy. And that's not it at all. It's an inside job, as you and I know, as transformational yes. leaders, it's always an inside job to generate our own sense of being, our own sense of well-being and happiness. And you're right. The woman really does carry a lot of the beautiful, powerful energy, both positive and negative. I mean, you could, you could build a man up in a second and tear him down in a second or anything or anyone for that matter. You're that powerful. Right. And, uh, right. There's grace in that. So how do you maintain, you know, there's one thing I've, I've often pondered as well. In particular, women can really take a man down. We have, we have fragile egos just naturally, right? We've got, we're strong on the outside and soft on the inside, right? Mm, Whereas mm -hmm. women are a little bit softer on the outside and strong on the inside. So how do you navigate in that in, in your life, knowing that you could crumble something or someone and also build them up really powerfully? Well, you know, I'm going to take you straight into my marriage because for me, my marriage is the place that I get to practice love. Now, sometimes I'm really ungraceful, but I'm committed to the practice. And one of the pieces that I've really pulled into my relationship with my husband, we just celebrated 11 years. We've been together for 15 years. And I consider us having a very happy, fun marriage is I've created a rule for myself and for him. And he knows this, that I am here to set him up for success. And I think that energetically, when you commit to do that with your partner, then all of a sudden you create a safer space for people to show up. Because I think energetically, it's so easy for us to set our partner up for failure, you know, and we're looking for them to do it wrong, or we're setting them up in a way that's not going to set them up for success. And I literally tell Jared, you know what, I'm going to set you up for success because I know if he succeeds, 
I succeed. Oh my gosh, you so get it. Thank you. This is incredibly refreshing to hear this. Like to me, this is the evolved feminine on the planet. Thank you. And it is powerful and it is fun and it is emotional and it is juicy and it is worth it. And I have to work every day to step into the integrated feminine because I know what the disintegrated feminine feels like. It feels fearful. It feels doubtful. It it questions my own self-worth. It's mean. It's a critical judgmental space. So I'm not sitting here in my integrated feminine saying that I'm no longer in the disintegrated feminine. I have to dance that line every day. And it is my committed practice, Brad. And it's not for my husband I'm doing it. It's not for my children who I'm doing it. It's for me. Oh, I just got chills. Oh my gosh. Oh, this is so refreshing. I'm freaking guessing that everybody that's listening to this is eating this up completely and totally challenged by it. Uh, you know, this might be one of the one of the hardest things I think for a lot of people to own the fact that our happiness in any scenario is really up to us. That responsibility, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like I have a little mantra. You know what? Happiness is my fault, and it is my fault. And if I'm not happy, well, that's my fault. And if I am happy, well, gosh, that's my fault. And so it's that sense of just taking per- personal ownership. And and then when you are working towards and really making your own personal happiness a commitment, then it makes it easier to enroll the people around you into that journey. But I will tell you, you will get met with people who are in immediate opposition because they'll just look at you and they'll say, you know, you're just too happy, you know, and, and they'll want to turn your happiness off. And sometimes when people say that to me, Brad, it gets under my skin and they, they do turn a little of my happy off. But then I realize, wait a minute, I'm being a mirror of something that they're wanting more of. Oh, so and so I get they're that. deflecting me. They're deflecting me because they can't handle the happy. And that's okay. Well, I, I hear that. And I also want to challenge this because something I've been experiencing throughout the years is I have this really strong bullshit meter that calls bullshit on yes. people. I've never questioned your happiness, never once. Mm-hmm. Like you are not full of shit in any way at all. You're not generating this fake, like if I, if I can change my state, you know, then I'll be happy. You're not doing that. You're, you've done the deep work. It's, it's beneath that. But I, I do question individuals that, that are constantly in this place of smiling and happy sometimes if my bullshit meter goes off. You know, and I, yeah, well, 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 I think we've, we have forgotten that happy is actually full depth, that happy isn't the shallow, you know, that, that, that happiness really is my willingness to hold all of me, you know, that I can have moments where I am crying, but still see myself as a happy person. I can have moments when I'm confused and still know that I'm a happy person. So it's that sense. I think that what the bullshit is, it's that we don't want to hang around the shallow happy because the shallow happy isn't satisfying. It's the deep happy. You know, my, my dad used to always say to me, he's like, you know, Susan, anybody could go and get happy. You can go and smoke a joint. You can go and you can throw back a couple shots. You can, and sometimes that might be fun, right? I'm not saying going and getting temporarily happy is a bad thing, right? But what I'm talking about is that, you know, he said, anybody can go and get happy, but it takes a stronger person to commit to their happiness because happiness is the long game. That's the deep happy that I think, you know, the bullshit is because it's people just living in the, in the shallow happy. Well, let's talk about that. I just got chills again. I've never gotten <laughs> chills twice on a podcast what? interview. That's a well, first. Get ready, Brad. <laughs> get ready. There's more coming. Okay. So I got the chills too. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> so good. Oh my gosh. All right. So, so this real happy is, you know, you're so right. It's, it, it's the cave you fear to enter. I say this on every podcast. Joseph Campbell, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek, your happiness, your wealth, your, your love, your self-love, whatever it is, your adventure, your courage. So whatever you're most resisting and most afraid of are the very things that will set you free. That's what the entire Face Your Dragon platform is based on. So you're saying that we have to go into the darkness and embrace the sadness, embrace our loneliness, embrace whatever it is we're feeling, our grief, our jealousy, whatever, whatever these quote-unquote negative feelings we're having. We need to integrate them and love them, as Gay Hendricks said in episode yeah. two, right? Can you speak more to that? 
You know, it's what's coming up for me right now as you're saying this is I think that especially in the self-help world and and in the quick fix reality that we're in is that we polarize ourselves as either being happy or sad. And we look at happy as the place that we want to be and then sad as if there's a deficiency if we're there. And it is what you're talking about with Gay Hendricks saying we've got to love it all. And, you know, I remember, you know, we just had a massive transition in my family. We sold everything and we just moved. You know, I lived in California for 40 years. We were in Los Angeles for 13 years. And then we decided it was time to create a change in our life. And we sold everything and moved my husband and my two children to Mexico. And so we're now living in a foreign country and I don't speak the language. And it was a huge change for me. And I remember one day, Brad, I was sitting in the car and my kids are in the back. My husband's in the driver's seat and I was crying. And my kids were like, mommy, are you okay? And I said, you know what? Mommy is okay. Mommy just needs to cry right now. And I said, even though mommy's sad in this moment, you need to see her and own her for the happy woman that she is. Wow. And I remember it was that sense of like giving everyone permission to just sit with me in a moment where I needed to just be sad. Because if I didn't honor that sadness and I didn't include my kids and my husband in on that sadness, then the happiness isn't as authentic. You know, I'm not just here to S and N my way through the planet, which is smile and nod. I really want to feel, I really want to create connections. I really want to have a happy life. I really want to have a beautiful marriage. I really want to be vulnerable. I really want to be authentic. And in order to do that, I have to allow myself the the privilege of being in all of it. Mm, The privilege. Wow. So, so much to talk about here. (laughs) The self-help space and sort of Costa Rica being a very healing kind of yogi and frankly spiritual mm-hmm. by- bypass place. There's a lot of mm-hmm. spiritual bypass going on. And you're so right. I, you know, we've got to go into the darkness to really, to really experience the whole breadth and depth of life. But I, I'm curious, you know, you naming it and speaking it to the family and owning it, but also naming it, claiming it even more. You claimed that moment for yourself how did the family respond to that? It, it probably put them all at ease, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, because now they're not responsible for fixing me. Because now they have more permission to feel whatever it is that they need to feel. You know, it's that sense of like, see me as the happy woman that I am. And don't hold that this moment defines the totality of my being. You know, and that that give me the permission. And, and that permission has to start with self-permission. I got to give myself permission to go there. And, and sometimes we don't think we're ever going to come out of that space. And I think it's our design to come out of that space. I think that the contrast is what gives the other side, the light, a brightness, you know, and, and so go to your darkness because you're strong enough because it'll lead you right back to the light. Uh, through, through the darkness, we find the light. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it so much. Let's talk about that transition. So, you know, mm-hmm. obviously I live in Costa Rica and a uh, part time and, and know the, uh, the challenges that comes with that. Mi español es mejor. Necesito más práctica. Sí, más práctica. Mi cabeza es muy, muy duro, pero my head is very hard. It is very hard. Strong. Yeah. Strong, thick. Yeah, I get it. So, so. You know, the, the possibility that comes from taking a leap, though, what I say, the hashtags I always use is face your dragon, take the leap and break free. Yes. So you got to find and face and ride your dragon is really it's yeah. like, well, what, what do you what, what do we need to find? What is that? So we can face it and then take the leap so we can really just jump. Right. Which you did, yeah. which I yeah. did. And yeah. there's massive growth in that jumping and yeah. I pray that more will just freaking jump without a net because that's really jump. where the juice of life is, right? Yeah, sure. My husband and I would say, because my husband didn't have a job when we moved here and my career completely shifted with respects to me moving markets that I speak to. And uh, what we said to each other is we said, what do we want? And we will let the how find us. Now, this is shocking to a lot of people. Yes. So just take a deep breath. I'm not saying that you need to do it like we did it, because I understand that there's a lot of different types of temperament in the world. But I think, wow, that for me and my marriage was so unbelievably exciting. You know, it's that sense of what do we want? Jared, what do you want? 
what do you want? Susan, what do you want? And in our marriage, we sat there and we talked about it and we actually kind of ritualized it. We created a sacred space once a month on the first Wednesday of every month where we went and we basically sat in gratitude and asked the question of what do we want? And we didn't allow the how into the conversation. And I really hold those meetings as what kind of was the initial evolution for us to make a different choice in our life. And was fascinating when we moved to Mexico, we didn't really know how. And quite honestly, we're still figuring out the how. And and it's that commitment to knowing that the how will find us. And and that's a dragon because most of us want to know how. It's like before I jump, before I go into the darkness, before I go and and meet that person, before I do anything, before I apply for the job, I want to know how it's going to go. And my friends, you don't get to know the how. You don't always get to know the how. And when you are needing to know the how at every turn in your life, that's when the juice and the magic gets sucked out of your existence. Yeah, the pesky little intellect and the and the, the fearful emotional child just ah keep keep me safe. You know, I was just writing uh, writing in the Bruce Cryer interview, the CEO of HeartMath for years about fight. Love Bruce. Fly- yeah, right. Bruce is amazing. Of course, you know Bruce well. Fight, flight, or freeze, and just how we mm-hmm. we live in that perpetual state of fight, uh, flight, or freeze. And and there's something in the in the juice of taking the leap, like you said, that can invigorate us and and gives us a lot of the pharmacy in our, in our brain and in our body that we can tap yeah. into, right? There's so much. Can there. I, so, can yeah. I add to, can I add to that? Because I have a model that I created in order to get us out of fight, flight, or freeze. And, um, it's a mental mantra because when you're in fight or you're in flight, you're just obsessing about your own insecurities. So I created kind of a mental mantra because I thought about in relationship, what's the highest form of honoring another human being. And that's to really stay with them through the uncomfortableness until you get to the solution. So I developed something called the stay model. So when I want to get out of fight or flight, I say to myself, Susan, stay and stay stands for stop thinking it's about you. You know, and what's fascinating about the stay model is that you can't use it on anyone else. Like I can't tell you, Brad, stay because it'll just create an argument. But what the stay model does for the individual is it creates an energetic space where I can finally just open up and I can say, stop thinking it's about you, meaning stop thinking about your insecurities, stop thinking about your fears, stop thinking about what's holding you back. Just stop thinking it's about you. And when we can create a little bit of space, we can let the magic come in. So in that space, what what happens in the space once we get that space back? Because what, what paralyzes most people is they're too busy thinking about themselves. They're too wrapped up in, what if I look stupid? What if I say the wrong thing? What if people find out that I'm, I'm not who I say I am? What if people you know, question me? It's, what keeps us from moving is that we get so wrapped up in our own fight or flight mechanisms. You know, we're just afraid of whatever. And so when we stay and we just remind ourselves, hey, stop thinking it's about you. Don't fight with the darkness. Don't flight from the darkness. Just stand in it. And then when you can stand in it and you create that energetic space, all of a sudden what can flood in are new ideas. What can flood in is a new possibility. You know, if you want to create something that didn't exist before and live in possibility, you have to stand in the dark. Creation starts in the dark. Mm, Some of our greatest power comes from our shadow and our darkness too. (sighs) Yeah. Right. So embrace your shadow. Use, leverage your fear. It's not run from it. It's not bury it. It's not freeze from it. It's use it. That's what I'm always saying. Use your fear, leverage your fear, right? And stand in it for a minute. You know, we're so quick to want to get through it. We're so quick to like rationalize our way out of it. It's like, just stand in it make friends with it a little bit. You know what I mean? I'll tell you this, this move for me to Mexico has been very interesting on another level too, because, you know, in, in the United States, and I know your listeners will have a hard time believing this, but I'm an extrovert on the Myers-Briggs. No. <laughs> I know hard to believe. And what's been really fascinating for me through this experience of moving to another culture where I can't communicate with the people is I've really become the introvert in my marriage. And my husband, who is more of an introvert, has become the extrovert. And he's the one who's setting up the the um, phone lines and the cable and the, all the day-to-day things and dealing with the workers. And he's he's the one who's planning the events to take us out to these different things. So all of a sudden, after 15 years... I'm in a relationship with a man who's the extrovert and I'm now the introvert. And I realized 
I'm nothing more than the role that I'm playing. Well, it's such an interesting distinction. I get the shifts. Yeah, I get the shifts being here in Costa Rica. I mean, I'm in in total isolation by choice, which I'm moving moving in about 60 days to uh, go on an RV trip for six months and then moving back down here kind of to the city so I can get a mixture of both nature and people. But I partially moved to isolation to to have that level of focus. It can create a lot of focus. But is is there some downside to that experience of introversion for you? I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I naturally organize around being an extrovert. And at first, it was really disorienting right. for me. Like I was really like, I, that's part of why I was crying in the car. I was I was all of a sudden, all of a sudden, not being able to be the role that I so identify myself as. And, you know, I'm the kind of person when you walk through the market, you make eye contact with people and you say hello and you, you just strike up random conversations. And I love the magic that's created with complete strangers, you know, and, and the stories that you end up hearing and the connections that you have. And I don't have that in the same way down here because I can't communicate. Yeah, The language barrier makes it It, so tough to have the deep conversation sometimes, right? I mean, not just sometimes, all the time. If you don't speak the same language, you can't communicate. We can have beautiful moments of eye contact. There can be this beautiful sense of being able to physically be in the space. So those are some of the things that I've really explored is like how much I can just be with people without having to be in a voice with people. But it was really disorienting. But now I'm experiencing, now that I'm through the darkness of that and I've, I've detached from owning that I'm an extrovert, I'm also reveling in playing with the fact that I'm complex enough to also be an introvert, you know? (laughs) So even though Myers-Briggs says I'm an extrovert, I'm sorry, I am a dynamic human being. I have the capacity to be an introvert. And and I'm reveling in the freedom of not having to engage with everybody. Wow, Susan, I so get all of those dimensions and, and dynamics and the paradigm shift that happens. I mean, when I leapt down here, leapt, is that a word? Yeah, yeah. there you go. You leapt. I leapt, L-E-P-T, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I leapt. And same thing. It was like, oh my gosh, I miss all the deep conversations I have with all the transformational leaders we know and hang out with. I'm like, man, what am I going to do? And it was it was dark at, at times, but boy, the growth that came through it. Now that I'm like you through the darkness, there were there were some moments that was like, wow, this is pretty intense. Yeah. But most yeah. people, and I pray that listeners, all of you guys will have the courage to stand in that discomfort long enough yes. to come out the other side and be expanded times a million exponentially. Yeah. It says everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. And the the fascinating thing that I said to my husband through this journey was that our change moving to Mexico was a choice. It was intentional. It was empowered. Yet we were not exempt from the process of change. And there isn't a single human being on the planet who's exempt from the process. So what has happened is that many people experience change in their life when it's kind of forced upon them, someone dies suddenly, or all of a sudden a marriage ends, or a job uh, dissolves. And so people are connected to the idea of change in their lives related to something that they didn't make a choice. It wasn't my choice when my mother died. It wasn't my choice that the the economy um, took a turn and my job dissolved. And so we're living in this space that I only make choice or have choice foisted upon me when I'm not choosing it. But what if you made choices that you were choosing from an empowered space? And what's fascinating is that you're not exempt from going through the process, even when it's an empowered choice. (laughs) I just have to laugh at all the layers in that, Susan. It's amazing. So your, your, (laughs) your, your mother passed. That was one of the, like you said, one of the defining moments that took me into the deepest darkness and despair and grief that opened up my life purpose in the world yeah. in 2005. What was that for yep. you? How, how was that? Wow. My, my mother's death process was about eight years and she suffered from a form of cancer called CLL, chronic lymphatic leukemia. And she was in and out of the hospital. There were 13 different times that she was in the hospital where we were standing over mom's bed and we were like, this is it. It's oh over. And, and so it was an emotional journey. And I'll tell you, my mom, um, watching her in her death process was such an amazing gift because I really realized when you can die well and you can die happy, then it makes the healing for everyone else that's here that much easier. 
And my mom let me mourn her when she was here, which I think was an amazing gift. I remember crying on her lap saying, Mom, I don't want you to die. And she looked at me and she said, you know what, Susan, you're going to be just fine without me. And then my mom burst into song. She was like, you got along fine before you met me. And then she goes, wait, that song doesn't apply to you. (laughs) And we laughed, you know. But what's amazing about that moment for me, Brad, is my mom gave me permission to be okay. And you know what? I'm totally okay. And I think sometimes people feel guilty for how okay they are when people pass. You know, and we feel so guilty, like I should be something. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. When I was engaged uh, about 10 years ago, and I I watched a family member of my fiance's, uh, I forget who it was, but but they were all so fine with it. Now, now, granted, they were all Buddhists. Mm. They appreciated many lives and they, they, they reveled and celebrated it. And it was, it was a beautiful thing to watch and completely disorienting for me. I was like, my gosh, how are they? Like, I was making it all sorts of wrong. Like, why are you guys so okay with this? What's the deal here? You know, just cultural differences. They were Burmese Chinese. And I, I've learned so much from the depth of many cultures, but Asian in particular, there's just a different layer of of witness of God, of understanding of, of multiple dimensions. I feel yeah. And I wish I wish I would have had that training because I will be honest, after my mom died, she's almost been dead now for 10 years, which is shocking to me, is that I was mad for an entire year. And it was not uncommon for me to wake up at night and just cry. And my husband would just have to sit there with me and tears would just flow. And I was I was mad. And what was interesting for me is I was I was at a party one night and this woman pulled out some tar- like tarot cards and she looked at me and she goes, why are you so angry? And I didn't even recognize my own anger until that moment. And then I was like, oh my God, I was stuck for an entire year in anger because my mom for me was my happiness. My mom for me was my joy. If I ever was upset or sad or angry or whatever, I could call my mom and I immediately felt better. And when she left, I was angry because my happiness became my responsibility. What a great teacher death can be. And and mortality is one of the biggest, most incredible teachers on so many levels, right? Yeah. All right. So let's pivot a little bit here. So Confident Woman Program, I'm guessing all of this really supported you to bring that transformation to the planet. Tell us what, a little bit more about your work. We haven't even really talked about that. What are you doing I, in the, the world? The Confident Woman Program. Well, you know what? I want more women to live a happy life. I want more women to take ownership for the joy that is theirs. I want women to really own their own self-worth. I want women to be in the practice of talking about and being in the conversation of confidence. Moving down to Mexico, I, I I had this huge amount of space. Now that I'm an introvert and I'm not talking to a lot of people, what do I do? And I'll tell you, I had a divine download and the Confident Woman program came through me and it's a 52-week program. It's an entire year uh, where you spend 15 minutes a week with me. It's a, an affirmation and an audio lesson along with eight confidence-building videos but it really is not to teach anybody anything. It's to enroll them into their own confidence conversation. You know, that at the end of the day, I can talk to you all you want, but if you don't give yourself permission, then that's where everything stops. So it's that sense of how can we get more women to really own their own confidence conversation? And I have a belief that confidence, it's not something that you have to find, it's just something you have to allow. We all give a lot of voice to our insecurities, but our insecurities are just the other side of our confidence. And we've just done a really great job of magnifying the insecurities. So I would say if you're a really insecure person, good. Because what that means is that you're actually a really confident person. You just need to redirect your conversation. So a confident woman, she embraces all sides of her experience, I'm guessing. She doesn't just project confidence, doesn't just project happiness, doesn't just project sexuality. We're not projectors. We're not playing a movie. We're actually the star of our own life. Yeah. Yeah. We're not projecting anything because projection is just about trying to put an image out into the world. At the end of the day, confidence, this conversation for me is about adding to the quality of the individual woman's life. And when you do that authentically and you really root that in yourself deeply, then everyone else benefits. Happy wife, happy life. Confident woman, stronger world. 
what what's your take on what's happening in the uh, in the women's movement? Is it is it misguided? Not not women's liberation so much, or but more, you know. I mean, I get that women's rights are being challenged. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, women's rights are being challenged. But what you're also seeing that really is inspiring to me is that there's an elevation in the conversation. And we've all heard this, especially in the transformation based field is that thoughts become things. And when we can really enroll women and men in a deeper conversation, you know, that's really what we're doing. That's why you're doing what you're doing with this program. It's about really enrolling people to just allow themselves to be in the conversation at a deeper level, to be at stake for yourself, you know, to be at stake for yourself so that you can then be at stake for your marriage so that you can then be at stake for your children. But if you're not at stake for yourself, and if you're not intentionally working to expand and elevate and own your own worth, then it makes it really difficult to elevate and expand and own the worth of anyone else around you. Because what they see is they see a woman who's depleted. What they see is they see a woman who's sad. What they see is a woman who's lacking joy. Yeah, you know, so you might that's... be giving a lot, but you've got to be able to receive from yourself. Oh, the, that's a challenging thing. I, I was dating someone who would come home so depleted and it hurt my heart and it drained, drained mm-hmm. me because of, of the light that I knew she could, could carry, but was so overgiving to everyone else without the awareness that you just said. There's, there has to be that. But let's, I want to stay on this sort of women's movement that's happening. Like my question was, is it really misguided? And, and, and of course it isn't, but, but there's some components of it, I believe that can be from some of the shadow or the disintegrated parts of both men and women. Well, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and yeah. And I think that this is the word that we need to really um, own that when anything is disintegrated, it's separating. It's there's separate. It's making separate. So the disintegrated masculine is separating the man as the the quote unquote stronger sex. The disintegrated feminine is is separating the woman from you know this is my domain. This is my space. This is my realm. You don't come in here. And so integration is about really not being separate. It's letting go of that separation. So I believe that a confident woman is the integrated masculine and the integrated feminine. And for me, what I'm desiring to do is to give my son permission to own his masculine as well as revel in and be integrated with his own feminine. And what I'd love for my daughter is for her to fully play in and integrate within her feminine, but also know that she also is masculine. You know, we need to to let our men off the hook a little bit here. You know, all the work that I'm doing is about making relationships better. Relationships with yourself, my integrated masculine and feminine, and your relationship with your partner. You know, it's that I want people to not be in a conversation that creates separation. I want them to be in a conversation that creates connection. For sure. How does that show up with group to team? You're, you're doing a lot of corporate training in Mexico a lot, right? Isn't that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, We're actually working with Banamex, which is the largest bank in Mexico. And I'm also excited to be speaking at the Minnesota Bankers Association. There's a, a women's conference where I'll be delivering uh, one of our group to team trainings. And I'm working with Freeman Michaels, who is such an amazing partner. And I love being on the platform with a strong man, because I think when people can see a really strong man and a really strong woman, and you can see them being in, you can see us being in relationship and really having such a high level of respect. And it's us co-creating together. We're not just giving a speech. We really are in the conversation and it's organically being created by who's in the room and what the two of us have to offer. So I think that the more that we can see men and women really working together collaboratively and we can get more women on the stage with men and we can get more women because what's so fascinating about this is that we need to enroll men. We can't dictate to men. Yeah, our, our ego, our ego is way too fragile for that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it doesn't feel good for anybody. No, and to be integrated feels good. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So, so are you bringing that integration into? Tell us quickly the transition from group to team. What's that look like, and how are you integrating that in? culture, company. So for me, the Confident Women program is really more of a larger program. I do work within organizations and we do provide that for the women in the organizations. But at the end of the day, what gives me juice 
is really working on integrated teams, men and women. And I love working with Freeman. And one of our core premises, and what I love is we've made this stuff simple, you know, and, and we're really redefining what it means to create teams at work, what it means to create teams in your marriage, what it means to create teams with your kids. That the core premise is that everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you say, everything that you feel is either keeping you stuck in group or it's elevating you into the experience of team. And so when we realize with that level of simplicity, we're now empowered to ask ourselves the question, am I being group right now or am I being team? And I can start making some choices that will hopefully elevate me and those around me into the experience of team. It's amazing, Susan. So oh, go! I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> I, I know it is. I mean, I watching you and Freeman together and all the times I've seen, and it, there's just such a grace and power that's possible for, I mean, you're leading the way of what is possible in that conversation and that yeah. essence and context. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, Our, and I want to also, can I just, I want to yeah. add one last little thing, because I think that this is something that we need to start redefining is that team isn't a destination. You know, everybody thinks, oh, well, we're a team. I'm sorry, team isn't a destination. Team is an experience. Just like my marriage is an experience, you know, that, that, that there's moments when my husband and I are stuck in group, you know, and, and life is boring and things get moving and, and wait a minute, if I want to really keep the energy in my marriage, I need to create the experience of team. Now, sometimes, especially with my husband, that's easy to do, right? Yeah. I can take him right in the bedroom and we can create some team. There you go. Team it up. But, but I have to be aware that it's just an experience. And the more that I can work to create that experience, the more energy I'm given back. Beautiful. I, that to me is an empowered feminine leading from behind in the relationship. Allowing, oh, man, I don't even know if there's a front or a behind. Well, well what, what I mean by that is this. Men, men oftentimes think we're leaders and we need that. Frankly, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say that I, I feel good when I'm leading. That machismo that may be disintegrated in me still loves the feeling of being a leader. I mean, it, it provides that warrior component that's part of a masculine spirit. There, that's still there. We have a warrior component to us. But what I found that in a really evolved relationship is the woman is not leading from behind, but a servant leader is essentially leading from behind, right? You flip the pyramid of leadership upside down. It's not a top down. It's a bottom up. And yeah. so, so that's really what I mean by that is that is that. You're absolutely leading from this humble servant place, as is the man. I'm not saying the man's like, you know, upfront leading, but I just think there's, there's, there's power in when a woman, for me, and at least in my dynamic, when I'm in relationship, that recognizes the power. And you remember this in the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, when she lets him think it's his idea and he's okay. If you remember that, they're sitting at a dinner but, table. But I want to just offer you this, because even in this conversation, it still feels like we're trying to to manipulate the power and that real integration is never about manipulating and making anyone think anything, you know, that, that at the end of the day, I think that the integrated masculine and the feminine is just honoring that everyone that's in the relationship is a leader. hundred percent. And there's going to be, yeah. there's going to be one moment that someone's in the quota, you know, but trying to believe who, but this whole in relationship, I always get a little bit nervous when we try to make our men think they're in anything, think oh, yeah, they're not, in charge. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, it, cause it's not real. It's not authentic. It's a manipulation. And you know what? If Jared wants me to stroke his ego, I will stroke it. You know why? Because I love him. Exactly. And you know why? He's worth me stroking his ego. Totally. You know, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be backdoor about it. Of Wait, course not. I- no, and I, I'm not suggesting <laughs> that. I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, Alison Armstrong. That's a whole other dragon. Totally, yeah, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Alison <laughs> Armstrong talks about, you know, I've done a lot of men's team work and a lot of, a lot yes. of, a lot of uh, interpersonal, interrelational kind of work. And just the, this movement of the shoulder in a woman that's very simple, just a, a very delicate roll of the shoulder can be so enticing for a man. And it's, you know, call it manipulation, whatever you want. But there's, there's possibility there for us to create something out of nothing if we understand these small cues that are primal, frankly. They're very unconscious well, or subconscious. So if you want to talk about primal, Alison Armstrong completely taught me that when it comes to sex, I was working way too hard. 
you know, and, and, and yep. all I got to do is just kind of sit myself on the bed in a certain position That's and exactly that lets right. my husband know, okay, you know, and, and I don't need to work so hard. And I think also owning that sex is always such an important conversation yes. because it is really, it is a sacred and you know what? Sometimes it's it's not sacred. Sometimes it's just animalistic, but it's important because it is a place that we get to practice loving each other. You know, the the one thing that I will say is that I have a I have a, a friend of mine who was talking about her marriage and how stressed out she is, and she's got her kids. And I said, you know, your husband and your marriage is the place that you get to practice saying yes to your partner. That's and amazing. and I think if more men would practice saying yes when their their wives say, "Will you help me with this? Will you grab this? Will you give me this?" Yes, dear. And we practice saying yes, then I guarantee you more women would just say yes. And women need to practice saying yes in the bedroom. Uh, you know? it, made, honey, and, it makes me think of Chris Rock when your woman asks you something. Yes, anything. Yes. What about this? Yes. 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 So funny. Yeah. Yes. All right. So where does this is amazing, amazing conversation. Wow. We could go on for hours. Tell everybody where we find you. What, what, where's the best oh. place to find you? I love, I'm like, I'm really not ready to leave, but we got to go. I know it's been, oh my God, almost an hour. Amazing, Brad. Um, I am available at SusanLahey.com. That's L-E-A-H-Y. So SusanLahey.com. Or of course, you can go to the Confident Woman Program. There is a Facebook group as well as ConfidentWomanProgram.com. And of course, if you're looking for any kind of corporate leadership or team building, you can find us at Group2, and that's T-O, Group2Team.com. Awesome. All right. So what is one final thing you can leave with the listeners to challenge them to face their dragon? Mm, to one step final up more? thought yeah. is don't let anybody rob you of your joy because they didn't give it to you. Ooh, that's a big your lesson. Your joy is your fault. Grab onto it and own it. Do you have your joy is your fault.com? If you don't, I'd probably go get that. Oh, Maybe I'll go get yeah, that I think right you now. It's really good. A couple <laughs> variations of it. All right, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always an honor to be around you and in your space and the joy that you do bring, uh, whether you want to believe it or not, you do bring joy to others. I know that's mm -hmm. not what you mean, but oh my God, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Brad. I love you. I love you too, honey. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. I want to thank our guest for sharing her heart and brilliance with us. Thank you, Susan Leahy. We're all so grateful for your contribution to the world. You can find out more about Susan at SusanLahey.com. And as we dive deeper into facing your dragon, I want to offer you the opportunity to discover the number one hidden fear stopping you from earning what you're worth. Be sure to take the one-minute quiz at CourageQuiz.com. If there's something here I mentioned that you want to review again, keep in mind we keep all the notes for you, including links to everything we've talked about today. You can find the show notes for this episode at faceyourdragon.com forward slash episode 012. And finally, I would like to invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review for the Face Your Dragon podcast by visiting faceyourdragon.com forward slash subscribe. Be sure to share this episode with your tribe on social media if it was useful for you. We'd love that. And join our conversation in the Face Your Dragon Facebook group as we talk more about your greatest fears being the very thing that will set you free. Tune in to episode 13 because I'll be talking with the powerful and amazing Adam Markell. Adam was CEO of New Peaks for years, formerly Peak Potentials, founded by the one and only T. Harv Eker of the Millionaire Mind fame. We discuss how pivoting is vital to your joy and the art and science of reinventing your career and life. And he shares the secrets that will guide you away from fear and toward a powerful new vision that will pull you into certain success, whatever your version of success is. This incredible being and many more on the Face Your Dragon podcast. See you on the next show. And remember, when you face your dragon and take the leap, you will break free.